morning, everybody. How are you doing this morning? You look incredible. You sound incredible. Welcome to the house of the Lord. We're going to come around the Word of God so you can go on ahead and take your Bible notes out, take your Bible apps out. We're going to go straight to God's Word. Word. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 17 to 26. That's our text for today. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. Here's what it says. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to them, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately, he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. God bless the reading of his word this morning. We're in our second week of our sermon series, Unnamed, and today I want us to focus on four guys who acted out of their faith and brought their paralytic friend to Jesus. Now, this particular story is told in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They each have a different perspective in their portrayal of what happens, but we can learn so much as we compare the texts to one another. But there are a few things that we notice in the story. First of all, Capernaum. One of the very first things that Mark says in his recount of the story is that Jesus came to Capernaum. Capernaum is quite significant as you read the Gospels. In the New Testament, Capernaum is referred to as the town of Jesus. Now, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth. After being baptized in the Jordan River, Jesus returned to Nazareth, but the people of Nazareth rejected him, and so he traveled to Capernaum. And so Capernaum is where Jesus lives as he carried out much of his mission, from his baptism to the week before he is crucified. It's the place where Jesus showed himself to be powerful. It's the place where Jesus showed himself to be strong. It's the place where Jesus showed himself to be the Son of God. It's the place where Jesus performed miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. The problem is many people in Capernaum still struggle to believe Jesus. They want the miracle, but not the miracle worker. They want the, they're, they're loving the principles. They're just not so keen on the prince. They're chasing the healing, but they don't want the healer. And so we find ourselves in today's text in Capernaum when Jesus is once again pouring out into the city. Jesus is about to heal a man who was paralyzed. Another thing you can realize uh, you can find in the text is the Pharisees. Mark says that as Jesus was teaching, the house where he was teaching filled immediately and there wasn't even any room in the house, not even at the door. Luke recounts the story and he wants us to know that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law who also gathered there. These people were big on keeping the rules. They believed that the laws and traditions, all that outward stuff, the customs and rituals had to be applied on a daily basis. But because of this, it caused them to become quite rigid and they became quite imbalanced. They were quite critical 
And now Luke lets us know that these Pharisees and teachers of the law traveled from as far as Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, but he makes special mention of the fact that they were sitting by. They weren't sitting at the feet of Jesus to learn from him. They weren't sitting under the word. They weren't positioning themselves in a posture of humility to learn, but they were sitting by. They sat by as if the word of God meant nothing to him. They sat by as spectators. They sat by as senses examining every single word of Jesus through the lens of religion and tradition. They sat by as people trying to pick something up on which they could ground a reproach and an accusation. Oftentimes throughout the gospel, we read instances of Jesus coming up against uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He kept coming up against their religious notions. He kept coming up against their ideologies because Jesus didn't fit their idea of what the deliverer or the Messiah was meant to be. And so they tried him, they rejected him, they even crucified him. They chose instead to hold on to their images of God rather than the reality of God in their midst. Another thing you will see is the paralytic. Not much is said about the man who was paralyzed other than the fact that he is lying on a bed. Now, when I used to read the story, I used to focus only on the fact that the man couldn't move, but I failed to grasp the magnitude of this thought of being paralyzed. It's not that the man's body couldn't move because you could be sitting in your seat, you could be laying still in your bed, not move, yet not be paralyzed. Paralysis has nothing to do with movement. The restriction with the movement is, not, is a result of damage that's greater than just not being able to move your body. Paralysis is caused by a problem uh, in, with our nervous system. The nervous system is our body's way of communicating. The nervous system sends signals from our brain to the rest of our body, telling it what to do. If there is an issue with the nervous system, messages won't be able to get through to the rest of the body. So the problem is not that the man is unable to move. The problem is that his body can't seem to obey what his brain is telling it what to do. This man who was paralyzed is in the physical what the city of Capernaum is in the spiritual. The paralytic man is the physical picture of a paralytic city that continues to reject signals from the brain. It continues to reject signals from the head. It continues to reject signals from Jesus. The head of the city, Jesus, is saying something that the body, Capernaum, cannot do. And so the paralytic is actually pointing to a need that's so much greater than just failing to move. Another thing you will see is Jesus' authority. Regardless of the difference in recounting what happened, I came to realize something in my study. I realized that in each of these gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, they all almost verbatim for word for word uh, say the exact same thing when it came to a particular matter regarding Jesus. In the New King James Version, when you put the accounts from the different gospels together and compare them side by side, you will see that they all agree on this one thing, that you may know this, that the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sins. Of all the things that they agreed on and recounted, the thing that they all wrote almost word for word together was the fact that Jesus said, so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Before I go anywhere else with the text this morning, I need you to hear me good when I say that the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, has the power and the authority, the ability to forgive sins. And it's important that we lay this foundation of truth because nothing in the text will make any sense to you if you don't realize that the story is actually building up to this moment where Jesus says to the paralytic, your sins have been forgiven. 
Jesus is letting the paralytic, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, and every single person who was gathered in the house to hear Jesus teach, he's letting them all know that he has the power to forgive sins. He has the authority to forgive sins. And so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the scribes, they're getting really upset because to claim that you've got the power to forgive sins is to claim that you are God because only God could forgive And so for Jesus to say to them, the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sins, was seen as blasphemy. It was considered absolutely profane. Jesus does the unthinkable. Because you see, the truth is, anybody can say you are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, because forgiven isn't necessarily visible. However, to follow that up by saying, rise up and walk to a paralyzed man and then have the power to make it happen requires something more than just mere words. All of that is demonstrating the fact that Jesus has divine power. The kind of power that doesn't just heal a paralyzed man, but the power to also forgive sins. You have to read the story in light of Jesus' authority. Because faith doesn't make any sense. Breakthrough doesn't make any sense. Healing doesn't make any sense until you've grasped the fact that Jesus, Son of Man, fully divine and fully human, has the power and the authority to forgive sins. Tap the person in front of you and say, Jesus has the power to forgive sins. If there's no one in front of you, tap the person next to you. (laughs) Amen. See, now that we've laid a foundation, much of the message for us today is going to be pulled from the simple but effective movements of four men who carried a paralyzed man to Jesus. Four men whose names aren't even mentioned. Four men whom we do not know much about. We don't even know where they've come from. We don't know their relation uh, to the their relationship to the paralyzed man. But the only thing that the authors of the gospel used to identify them is their faith. And so there's much that we can glean from them to help us in our journey of faith. The first thing that we can learn from them is this. Number one, confront. People of faith are not afraid to confront the problem. The dictionary defines The word confront as the act of coming face to face with something and then dealing with it, particularly a challenge or something that seems difficult. You know, the Bible says that four men could not find how they might bring the paralyzed man in. There's nowhere for them to lay the paralyzed man. They couldn't even bring him to Jesus. The house was so full, there was not even a space at the door for them to walk through. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Imagine being one of the four who has carried your friend all the way to Jesus. You've been traveling. You've been carrying your paralyzed friend. You're getting tired, but you get to the place where Jesus is and you can't even get into the house. The closest that you could get to the door was the driveway because it's so packed, it's so full, there's no way to even get into the home. But what I love about the story is that nowhere do we read in the text that the four men became discouraged. Nowhere do we read in the text that the four men began to turn back. Nowhere do we read in the text that the four men began to hide in shame. What we do read in the text, though, is that the four men realized they could not get this paralyzed man to Jesus, and so they went up to the top of the roof, uh, to the top of the house on the roof, and they let him down through the roof. They've not just come face to face with the problem. They're choosing to deal with the problem. They're confronting the problem. Nobody confronts a problem unless they're determined to see change and a transformation and a shift in their situation. These unnamed men are teaching us that people of faith are prepared to confront the problem. They're not only confronting the problem of paralysis by carrying their friend to Jesus, they're going as far as to confront the problem of not being able to get to Jesus. 
You cannot expect your circumstance to change if you are not prepared to confront the problem. You see, when we look at the story, we're either one of the four men who's carrying the paralyzed man or we are the paralyzed man. And the difference between the two is that the four men confront the problem and the paralyzed man comforts the problem. Let me ask you today, in what areas of your life are you comforting the problem instead of confronting it? In what areas of your life are you comforting the problem instead of confronting it? When you confront the problem, you don't run away from it. You don't try to ignore it. You don't try to cover it up. You don't get comfortable in it. You acknowledge that it exists and then you deal with it. When you comfort the problem, you make excuses for it. Oh, it's, it's how I was raised. Oh, I've always been this way. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, it's part of my culture. Oh, the devil is working hard today. You know, a, a few years ago, I remember having dinner one time and after, I, after dinner, I couldn't feel my, you know, I could feel myself struggling to breathe. It was the first time I kind of felt this feeling and a few weeks went by and it started to get worse. So a month went by and I was sitting with the doctor and he's teaching me how to use an inhaler. As he was explaining to me how to do it, I can remember saying to the doctor, man, the devil is working hard, eh? And he starts laughing. And so I start praying in the spirit and I'm like, Lord, I come against every attack of the enemy on my life right now to shut down my breathing. I am healed in Jesus' name. And my, you know, my asthma started to stabilize and the doctor started talking to me and he says, Don, the asthma is worsening because you're obese. And I thought, you... <laughs> you, you can't be talking to me. <laughs> you know, I know you're not talking to me <laughs> because I'm not obese. I refuse to speak that over my life. In my mind, I'm thinking, the devil is really trying to get on my nerves today. He's not only trying to shut down my breathing, he's trying to shut down my self-esteem. I refuse to acknowledge the problem. So I'm trying to shift the blame and give the devil far too much credit for something I'm refusing to confront. Because the truth is, the devil wasn't even working at all. I just needed to eat less corned beef and do some more exercising. <laughs> Honestly, it's funny the kind of things that we will say to ourselves in order to compensate for what's broken. And so instead of confront the problem, we roll out a mat, we pull up a pillow, and we get comfortable in it. And so we won't confront the drinking problem. Instead, we'll roll out a mat and get comfortable in it. We won't confront the addiction problem. We'll roll out a mat, pull up a pillow and get comfortable in it. We won't confront the money problem. We roll out a mat and we get comfortable in it. Oh, we can't confront that anger problem. So I'm going to roll out a mat and I'm going to get comfortable in it. You cannot change your circumstance by rolling out your mat and getting comfortable in it. You have to be prepared to confront the problem. God didn't create you to settle for the comfort of the mat. He created you to conquer, and you cannot conquer that which you are not prepared to confront. If you want to see a shift in your circumstance, if you want to see a change in your situation, if you want to overcome the obstacle in front of you, you have to be prepared to confront it. You need to know today, people of faith are prepared to confront the problem. The second thing that we learned from these guys is connect. These unnamed men are teaching us that people of faith are people who connect others to Jesus. You know, as we read the story, it can be really easy for us to just major on the paralyzed man's interaction with Jesus. But without these four unnamed men who carried him in, this man probably wouldn't have been able to receive his miracle. And so though they are unnamed in history, they are forever written down in God's word for us and the generations to come so that we could read about it. 
All we read in the text is the fact that they brought a paralyzed man to Jesus and then they're off again. They had no fame, no fortune, but their impact, the difference they made cannot be understated. These men are teaching us that you don't need a massive platform to connect people to Jesus. You know, a few months ago, I was in Ormiston and I thought to try this barber shop there and I walked in and started chatting with the barber and while he was cutting my hair, he started talking to me about his religion. And he was saying, man, my religion is hard. I have to do all these rituals. I have to do all these ceremonies. I have to do all these sacrifices to appease my gods, you know, so that I could get this and, and, and so that they would be happy with me. And I have to do all sorts of crazy things. And then he asked me the question, what about your religion? What do you have to do? Almost immediately, I felt a strong sense in my spirit, share the gospel with him, <laughs> let him know. And after I shared the gospel, he asked, okay, so how do I get Jesus? How do, how do, I, how do I get him in my life? And I, and I said, you need a, it's as simple as believing in Jesus, asking him to come into your life and putting your faith in him as your savior and your Lord. And he said, yes. So I asked if I could pray for him. And then we, we went to the corner and he said, yeah, we can pray, but can we go to the corner of the barbershop so that my boss doesn't see me? And so we're standing there and it's in the mall. So obviously everyone can see you, but we prayed. My wife is outside and she's looking in like, we need, we need to go. And I bet you everybody else was walking up and down like, what kind of haircutting is this, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but we prayed. And as soon as we finished praying, he said, I've got peace. I've got peace. I've got peace. I've got peace. It was the best thing ever. Church, you don't need a microphone to connect people to Jesus. You don't have to wait for the pastor to pray for you and give you a prophetic word and minister to you till you're laying out in the front here in order for you to connect to people to Jesus. The bus stop where you are waiting is your platform. Your job is your platform. Your gym where you work out, that is your platform. Your work do is your platform. Your family gathering is your platform. You're having dinner at that restaurant, that is your platform. You see, when you realize that Jesus is the solution, you don't have to wait till you've got a big enough platform or a big enough following to start connecting people to Jesus. You don't wait till you've been ordained over here or got the call up over there or get invited to speak here. Or You could be at your cleaning job and connect people to Jesus. <laughs> you could be in the middle of a redundancy and connect people to Jesus. Let me ask you today, who are the people in your world that need to be connected to Jesus? Who are the people in your world that need to be connected to Jesus? Who are the hurting in your world? Who are the broken in your world? Who are the lost and the sick in your world? And I want you to think about that for a moment. Ask yourself, how can I, like the four men in our text today, pick them up and carry them to the feet of Jesus? You might say to me, oh, I'm just a nobody. You may feel like you're nameless and faceless in this chaotic world, but I don't want you to underestimate the impact that you can have on the lives of those around you. People of faith are people who connect others to Jesus. If I can ask Rani to join me on the keys. Third and finally, we can learn from these guys that overcome, number three, overcome. People of faith, they overcome. People of faith, they break through. People of faith, they conquer. The Bible says that the four men couldn't get into the house and so they decided to go to the top of the house they went to the roof. The Gospel of Mark says that the men uncovered the roof. And when they did, they broke through and they let the man down in front of Jesus. 
This morning, these four men are teaching us that if you can't seem to get through the front door, there's always another way in. <laughs> these four men have been carrying this paralyzed man to Jesus They've been standing in the gap for their friend. They've been interceding for their friend, but they've come up against an obstacle. They can't get through to Jesus because the house is too full. I'm talking to moms and dads who are interceding for their children, but have come up against an obstacle. I'm talking to people who are interceding for their friends, but have come up against an obstacle. I'm talking to men and women who are interceding for their spouses, but have come up against an obstacle. I'm talking to employees who are uh, interceding for their bosses, but have come up against an obstacle. I'm talking to sons and daughters who are interceding for their parents, but have come up against an obstacle. I got on here this morning just to encourage you and let you know that it's not what it looks like. It may look like the house is too full right now. It may look like there's no way through. It may feel like you've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing seems to change. It may look like uh, nothing is happening. It may seem like doors are just closing in on you. I came to tell you that if you would only lift up your head, that if you would only just lift your gaze a little bit, that if you would only just lift up your eyes, that if you would just look up instead of look around, you will realize that there's another way to get in. You may need to make your way up to the roof. You may have to uncover some things. You may need to shake off some dust. You may need to remove some of the tiles. You may need to put in some work. But that thing that's been an obstacle to your healing and deliverance and destiny, it's about to break in Jesus' name. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm breaking through. I'm breaking through. I'm breaking through. I'm breaking through. Amen. I might have to keep my balance on this roof, but I'm breaking through. It may be hard work, but I'm breaking through. I may have to cry sometimes, but I'm breaking through. I may have to take some risks sometimes, but I'm breaking through. And our text today, the four men are teaching us that people of faith, they overcome. They break through. As we close, you know, even though these four men carried the paralyzed man to Jesus, even though these men were courageous and brave enough to break through the roof of the house, Jesus looks at them and he recognizes faith. You can absolutely confront the problem in your life. You can absolutely connect others to Jesus. You can absolutely overcome. And here's why. Because you serve a living Savior who was able to challenge every single limitation in your life. You serve a risen Lord who conquered the grave. You serve a high priest who offered himself as a ransom for many. You serve the lion of the tribe of Judah, he who has triumphed. You serve the son of man who has the power on earth to forgive sins. None of this will make any sense until we grasp the fact that Jesus, son of man, fully human, fully divine, has the power and the authority to forgive sins. Can I ask you something today? When Jesus looks at you, does he recognize faith? Does he recognize faith? The kind of faith that's willing to confront the problem? The kind of faith that's willing to connect people to Jesus? The kind of faith that overcomes? When Jesus looks at you, does he recognize faith? With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, We refuse to close our service without giving people an opportunity in this room to say yes to Jesus. And maybe you're here and you're saying, awesome, that's great, but where do I start? It starts 
with a relationship with Jesus. And you need to know today that God created you. He created you on purpose and for a purpose. He created you to come into loving fellowship with Him. He created you to enjoy a loving relationship with Him. But the Bible talks about this thing that keeps us disconnected to God. This thing is called sin. Sin is doing things our own way. Sin is walking in disobedience to God. But the Bible also says that the consequence of sin, the wages of sin, is death. But you see, it didn't end there because God in His grace sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that you and I didn't have to pay the penalty for sin. And so when Jesus died on the cross, He took on Himself what you and I were due for sin. And it didn't end there either because on the third day, my friend, he rose again, and he conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. And so right now, God is extending to you his grace, forgiveness for your past, a new life right now, and a hope for your future and eternal life with him in heaven. But we must turn away from sin, repent from sin, and turn to Jesus. Put our faith in Jesus, put our hope in Jesus, trust in Jesus, believe in Jesus. The Bible says, whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so if that's you and you're in the room this, this morning and you're saying, yes, I wanna give my heart to Jesus. I wanna make him the Lord of my life. I'm gonna count to three. I want you to raise your hand and you can put it down straight away. You got no reason to be afraid or shy in here. Nobody in this church was born holy. We are all sinners who've been saved by grace. But we want you to know that we're right here for you and we're standing with you. And so if that's you and you're saying, yes, I wanna give my heart to Jesus. I'm gonna count to three. Raise your hand and you can put it down straight away. One, God loves you. Two, he's speaking to your heart right now. Three, raise your hand. Thank you, thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, I see that hand. Here's one more thing I want you to do for me. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. But I need you to know this prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. This prayer is just an expression of you putting your faith in Jesus. So repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. I turned from my sins. I invite you to come into my heart and into my life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Amen.